Welcome to church, welcome to the Bible study, welcome to all of our campuses and those online. Welcome to week three of our series, How to Pick a Fight, The Art of Conflict. And as we jump into this, my question for you is, have you ever put your foot in your mouth? Come on and wave at me if you've ever just, you said some things that you wish you uh, could take back and we are heading into the communication side of this idea of conflict. But if you're new and this is your first time checking us out, maybe this is your first weekend here at Northview, you're coming in at the middle of the book. This is week three of our series. And in week one, we talked about uh, this idea of ownership and self-awareness that every single one of us comes up short at times. No one uh, in this room or on this planet is batting a thousand percent. And so it's just learning to walk humbly and operate truthfully and just acknowledge, hey, here's where I'm coming up short. And before I address somebody else, I need to assess myself and I need to take ownership because what we talked about in week one is ownership, it separates the overwhelmed from the overcomer. And so we wanna fight the human nature to place blame and to give credit to all of our problems to other people saying it's this or that, it's him or her. And rather than placing all of our focus on external matters, wise are those and courageous are those, godly are those who focus on internal matters and say, hey, before I enter this conflict, God, is there anything in my life I can be doing better? And then in week two, we talked about knowing who's in the other corner, knowing your opponent. And we talked about empathy and gentleness, that when it comes to conflict, this is a very unorthodox approach that God is placing before us, but ultimately we take our cues from Jesus. And so the goal in conflict isn't to put someone in their place. If anything, it's to put yourself in their place. It's to say, hey, where's this person coming from and why do we do this? Well, because we follow a savior, Jesus who placed himself in our place and he left heaven in perfection and came to earth and utter brokenness and he stepped into our shoes, extending an invitation for you and I to step into his. And it's with this empathy that we recognize that when we lean into conversations, the best thing we can do is to seek understanding, not to undermine. And sometimes that's what we do. We're trying to win an argument, but scripture's saying, no, no, try to be the type of person who lives beyond yourself and thinks more critically about the situation. Seek understanding. And don't just enter a fight trying to give someone a piece of your mind. Engage in the conflict in a way that has you walking away with a peace of mind, knowing, hey, my integrity's still intact and I honored God and my character still stands. And it's just learning how can we develop an unorthodox approach to fighting because I believe, and I think you would attest to this, that our world uh, is in need of another option. And we are constantly primed and instructed and guided and oftentimes persuaded to fight and participate in conflict uh, in a way that looks like the world. And, and scripture is always saying, hey, but there's a better approach. And this is really important because all throughout scripture, what you're gonna find is the quality of your life is directly connected to the quality of your relationships. In fact, I would say the quality of your life is influenced and determined by the quality of your relationships. And so this is something that every single one of us needs to get better at and every single one of us needs to care deeply about as to how do we move gently and God honoring uh, in and through our relationships. And just know this idea of gentleness that God is calling us to is tricky and challenging. This doesn't come natural for anyone, but I've discovered this and maybe you can relate to it. Gentleness, boom, is hard to live out, but it's even harder to live without. 
You ever discovered that? It's like, hey, it's, it's hard. It takes a lot of discipline and self-control and focus and time developing the muscle and habits of gentleness, but it is much harder and more difficult uh, to live without gentleness. And so it's learning to, to lean in and say, God, would you do something in my mind and in my character also that my conduct reflects you? Because what have we said in the series that we're called to be peacemakers and peace is first and foremost a mindset before it is a skill set. And all throughout scripture, you find God's word and individuals who got to participate in its writing uh, instructing us to think more critically about our interactions. And the apostle Paul once said this. He said, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. I mean, if you just stop right there and you just go down the, the things that you've been saying and the things that are part of your conversations and you do an audit and take inventory, well, things begin to evaporate as we read this verse because, well, unwholesome talk shouldn't come out of our mouth, but only what is helpful. And think about it. If you were to go into your next conflict and be like, oh, okay, okay I'm only going to say things that are helpful. Think of all the ammunition you'd have to lay aside. I can't say that because that's not helpful. And I can't say that because that's not helpful. He says, say what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, not your wants, their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That's an interesting idea. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. He's saying, hey, we don't do these things. Instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. And here it is. Just as in Christ, God forgave us. And again, this is where we as followers of Christ, we take our cues from Christ, not culture. And so if you're not a Christian, this is going to be really entertaining for you because in many ways, what we're gonna talk about today, you're off the hook. This doesn't apply to you. This is God's word instructing those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. And I think this is where we go sideways as Christians. We often spend a lot of time and a lot of energy giving a lot of focus and attention to getting non-Christians to act like Christians when in all reality, we should be focused on getting Christians to act like Christians. Oh, come on, church, I can't get an amen for that. My goodness, we would do ourselves a great deal of service and we would benefit the world around us if us as Christians just started acting like Christians. And what Paul is saying is like, hey, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Get rid of bitterness, anger, rage, brawling. Hey, you don't participate in slander and gossip and things of malice. No, that's not what we do instead. Be kind and compassionate. I love that. Be a person who cares deeply about other people. And have you ever found that when people are not on your heart, they tend to get on your nerves? Yeah, the moment you stop caring for people, they start to get really annoying really quick. And it's just learning, God, would you do something in me that reflects your posture? Because as Christians, we are constantly following a savior who didn't just come declaring standards, he came demonstrating standards, and he gave us a target to emulate and to follow, and it's learned to say, how can I look more and more like Jesus in my interactions? And I think we live in a time where how we approach relationship and conflict is actually presenting us with a pretty incredible opportunity to gain tremendous influence and add value to the world. I think there is a very narrow mindset 
growing around conflict. And I think we're missing it and we're perpetuating dysfunction. And I think one thing our world is failing to understand is disagreeing with someone and disrespecting someone are two very different things. And we have reduced our logic to such foolishness that we now think that you can't disagree with somebody without disrespecting that person. And I think wise are those who learn that you can still operate with composure and you can still acknowledge the dignity and be respectful towards those around you, yet you can still be rooted in your truth and convictions and understanding uh, what really needs to be addressed in the moment. And I think it's when we do so that you and I are able to draw the distinction between addressing the issue and attacking the individual. And folks, this is something that I think scripture's saying, hey, be the type of person who addresses the issue and not attacking the individual. And I think this is something Paul's drawing our attention to. He say, hey, when you speak, get these things out of your language and be the type of person others wanna hear from. And here's a principle I think is beneficial. Speak in a way that makes others want to listen and listen in a way that makes others want to speak. Have you ever thought about that? Do, do others wanna hear you talk? <laughs> Take it from someone who preaches for a living. I get the feeling others would rather me shut up at times, and that's a real thing. But it's saying, hey, I wanna speak in a way. I wanna be gentle, and I wanna be authentic, and, and I want there to be integrity and honesty in my words, and I want people to understand that I, I care about them, and I want over time people to not only trust my word, I want them to appreciate and desire my feedback. And that's a long play that every single one of us can't go about demanding that type of credibility. But what would it look like if you lived in a way that earned it? Hey, I wanna, I wanna speak in a way that people think, hey, I actually appreciate what they have to say. And I want to listen in a way that makes others want to speak. I mean, do people open up around you or do they close down? Do people find themselves able to be vulnerable and transparent, authentic and genuine? Or do they find themselves withholding the reality of their heart and the thoughts within their mind when they're around you because they're used to a certain response and reaction that you tend to get when they, or give to their humanity? And it's just learning, hey, I, I need to discover the difference and develop the ability to discern between having something to say and having to say something. I mean, this is where wisdom comes in. Every single one of us at times is gonna feel the impulse of, ooh, I, I have to say something. Or do you have actually something of substance that would add value to say? It's just learning that there's power in our words. This is a principle all throughout scripture. The Bible says that God's, uh, word instructs us, I mean, to understand that our words have the power of life and death. Words carry a weight. And I think we can all understand and relate to this, that words, they hurt. I mean, the person who said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never harm me, that person was an idiot. That is a complete moron. And don't feel bad for them because they don't think words hurt. So nothing I just said was offensive to them. <laughs> words hurt. But here's the good news. They also heal. And in the same way your words can wound a person, your words can help a person. And it's just learning to say, God, would you help me steward 
my words well. And, and what does that passage that we just read say? It says, you know, when you speak and communicate, only say what is helpful for building others up. Helpful for building others up. And what we've reduced our approach to is hurtful for beating others up. These are, these are two very different approaches. And again, in this series, we're saying God is placing before us an unorthodox approach to fighting. We have to stop taking our cues for what we see around us and taking our cues from the word of God. We are not aimed towards what is hurtful and beating others up. We're aimed for what's helpful and building others up. You tracking with me? So words, they hurt. In addition to that, words cost. Ever found that you said something that cost you? It's like, man, that one, I wish I could get back. But here's the deal. Words not only cost, words can be an investment. And there's a difference between being the type of person who just walks around making assessments of people and being the type of person who walks around making investments into people. Don't be the type of person just giving assessments. Make an investment and just say, hey, I understand that words cost. And if I'm going to speak into a person's life, uh, let it be an investment. Let it be something that builds them up and let it be something that reminds them of who they are and reinforces their potential and God's will for their life and let them know that they're loved and appreciated and that I accept them as they are. That, that, is, that is what we're called to do with our language. And then in addition to that, words, they last. And this is something that amazes me. I bump into this all the time as a pastor where I get to have conversations with individuals who are decades on end living a life that is marked by something their father or their mother said when they were a teenager. And it's amazing to me to just see the profound and powerful impact our language has on other people. And I'll sometimes be in a situation where I think, man, you're 50 years old, still marked by something that was said 30, 40 years ago. And it's just learning to understand the longevity of our words. And if words last, we should be more intentional because it's not just the bad ones that last, the good ones last. And what would it look like if we just spoke life into our relationships where 20 years, 30 years, 40 years down the road, people call back upon interactions they had with us like, man, they, they believed in me. They encouraged me. They gave wisdom and, and gentle feedback. I, I love that person. And so it's learning to assess our words and steward them well. And it's learning to know when we should speak and when we shouldn't. Here's another principle for you. A meaningful silence is better than meaningless words, right? And so sometimes it's just learning, hey, when do I just need to bite my tongue? And what I love about this passage is Paul provides such clarity. Hey, get rid of all these things. Lean into these things. Be aware of what your words accomplish. But what you have to understand is the passage we just read is kind of the, the crescendo of an argument that Paul is making about relationships. And I think sometimes we can better assess ourselves and apply God's word when we take the passage in its entirety uh, into context. Also, we can understand, hey, what were the building blocks of Paul's argument as he led us to this idea of not letting any wholesome, unwholesome talk come out of our mouths? And here's how he begins. Check this out. He says, so I tell you, 
this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. He's saying, hey, you're, you're a Christian now, you're a follower of Christ. Okay, so you no longer live in the pointless uselessness of the way in which the world thinks is what he's saying. These are strong words. He goes on to say, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality. So he's drawing the distinction between these two words. And he says, as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. And folks, this right here is a synopsis of our culture. I know sometimes this is not really popular to talk about, and sometimes this will come with a lot of negative feedback, but at the end of the day, the Bible is a mirror. It's not a mallet. And it's learned to just say, okay, where do we see ourselves in, this, in the passage? And he's saying, hey, they, they've given themselves over to a lack of sensitivity, and now they're indulging in sensuality and just overtaken in greed. And know this, when Paul first talks about sensitivity, because he lays out three things in this passage, and the first is sensitivity. He's not talking about having a soft heart. He's not talking about being tenderhearted. He's talking about having a sharp mind. What Paul is saying in terms of sensitivity is they've lost the ability uh, to make logical sense of things. Which, have you ever heard the statement, common sense doesn't seem so common? That, that's what Paul is saying. He's saying they, they've lost the, the, the basic fundamental compass to discern right from wrong, good from bad, truth from a lie. And as a result of that, the moment your mind checks out, everything then becomes governed by the heart. And here's the thing, if you do not use your head, you will abuse your heart. If you don't use your head, you will abuse your heart. And the only way to maintain a soft heart is to develop a sharp mind. And Paul's saying, do not dim down the lights of your mind. He goes on to then draw our attention to this idea of sensuality, which is basically being governed by your feelings and doing whatever feels right in the moment. Which have you ever had a situation where you were certain this is the right thing to do and in the moment you were adamant about a decision or an approach or some way in which you wanted to handle something and by God's grace you decided not to and you gave it 72 hours and you just let that email sit in the draft box before you hit send and then a the couple days later you're like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad I didn't act in the way I wanted to act. And folks, emotions are deceitful. They're misleading. 86% of the word emotion is motion. And I think sometimes we, we fail to pay attention to the gravitational pull of our emotions. And so what happens is we check out mentally and we just allow uh, the emotional side to just govern everything. And then what happens is, is we are pulled to and fro into situations acting in ways that don't honor God and are disruptive to our relationships. And it's learning to pay attention. When am I just giving myself over to this sensuality? When am I just taking on more and more impurity in my life? And folks, 
I'm a pastor, that, that's supposed to be my role in your life. And here's something that's not popular, but it's something that we all need to be reminded of. Just because something is culturally acceptable doesn't make it morally right. Just because something is culturally acceptable doesn't make it morally right. If you wanna reduce that to more simple language for your kids, just because something is permissible doesn't make it beneficial. And it's just learn to say, no, we, we take our cues from Christ. We don't take our cues from culture. So he talks about sensitivity, sensuality, and lastly, selfishness. And he's saying, hey, be careful. You don't fall into this way of thinking that everything revolves around you. And it's just learning to pump the brakes again and ask God, hey, would you cue me in on the moments that I'm coming up short? And maybe just maybe help me assess these three areas of my life because what Paul is saying is this area of sensitivity, sensuality, and you know, selfishness, well, they have a way of informing how we communicate and the things that come out of our mouth because out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. So he goes on to say, that, however, is not the way of life you, say it with me, learned. Like, come on, heaven didn't wave a wand over our life and make us perfect individuals. That's not how this works. No one arrives on the scene like, poof, that's a Christian. They've got it all figured out. God hardwired them with the right software and they will have no problem in this life with Christ. No, that's, that's ludicrous. Essentially, this is a learning curve for every single one of us. Nobody is batting a thousand. It's just saying, okay, this is something I have to, to learn and this is something that God wants to teach me. And he says, when you heard about Christ, you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Folks, I'm just telling you, again, Jesus may not be a popular message, but he will forever be a powerful message and he is the way, the truth, and the life and nobody comes to the Father but through him. I understand that's narrow, but it's helpful. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. I mean, do you remember who you were before Christ? I mean, I was nuts. I was G'd up from the feet up looking crazy and talking even wilder. And I was reckless, and, but it was by the grace of God that he met me where I was at, but he didn't leave me where I was at. And so it's saying, hey, there was a part of me that... Uh, was redeemed and I stepped into a new life with Christ. And I think a lot of times we don't take into consideration when I gave my life to Christ, what were the old things that I was laying to rest? What were the former things that I was placing behind me? He says, the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Again, the heart is deceitful. But you and I were to be made new in the attitude of your minds. An attitude is a settled way of thinking. And here's what's happening. When it comes to our faith, we have too many lukewarm individuals approaching this deal. And just know this, as long as you have an unsettled mind, you're gonna live a rattled life. And just saying, hey, there, there are certain things that I need to have the attitude of Christ. He goes on to say, and put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so what he's doing is he's drawing our attention. Hey, if we're gonna get this right, we need to pay attention to sensitivity, sensuality, and selfishness. In addition to that, we need to pay attention to Jesus. This is something we have to learn, and this is something he's seeking to teach us. And if we would allow him to speak into our lives, my goodness, we would be better off. And here's the principle I wanna get across today. Allowing God to speak to you 
changes the way you speak to others. You ever found that to be the case before you launched into an argument, before you went and engaged in some tension with somebody else, you went to God with the problem first? And have you ever found that God tends to disagree with us all the time? Which folks, if you ever get in a fight with God and you win, you lose. And what I find to be incredibly frustrating about him is he always seems to side with Kristen. It's a super annoying. Come on, husbands, you think God shows favoritism in your house? Yeah, and, but what you find is if you take a moment and you develop the posture and the habit of saying, God, before I speak to them, would you just speak to me? Would you help me assess myself and would you help me be mindful of the words that come out of my mouth because words hurt, they cost, and they last, but would you let mine be an investment and would you let mine heal and would you let the good things come out of my mouth build this person up? And then he goes on to say, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. Again, Paul is building this idea. Are you tracking with me? He says, put off falsehood and speak truthfully. Falsehood and truthfully, these are two different ideas to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. And in your anger, do not sin, and do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Essentially, he's saying, folks, you have to put boundaries on your emotions. You have to establish a true north. You have to establish non-negotiables in your relationships. What are the things we'll always do and say? What are the things we'll never do and say? What are the boundaries? And God lays out several boundaries for us and God's boundaries for your life are God's blessings for your life. And he's saying, hey, in your anger, do not sin. And he goes on to tell us this. And do not give the devil a foothold. Which is like, whoa, wait, wait a second. I, I was focused on my conflict with someone else. Where does the devil come into all this? And this is where we are exposed in our lack of awareness of the validity of spiritual warfare. Folks, this is something that we all have to pay attention to. Scripture says we don't war against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and things in unseen worlds. And so it's just recognizing that there's good and evil in the world and there's oftentimes more at play uh, influencing the situation. And as you grow in spiritual maturity, you begin to discern this. He goes on to say, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, which I love this verse because it doesn't seem to fit into what Paul is saying. He says, but you must work doing something useful with your own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. And what Paul is saying, and you find this all throughout Paul's writings, is Paul is constantly emphasizing, constantly challenging the readers of his letters to understand that you and I are all supposed to be contributors. That we just don't get to go through life casually checked out. No, as long as you're a part of that family, you're a contributor in that family. That company, you're a contributor in that company, that neighborhood, that school, that team. Be a person of contribution and be a person who adds value. And it's amazing because Paul is saying, hey, when you get into this, one, put off falsehood, speak truthfully. Two things he's saying trip us up in conflict. Right, so that we're building this idea. He said the first isn't speaking a lie, it's living a lie. That's what he means by put off falsehood. Don't engage superficially and falsely in interactions because what you do is the moment you bring a phony person into the conflict, you set it up for fail. 
And this is what we do sometimes. We develop these instincts and these behaviors that would just rather appease people or avoid the situation or act as if nothing's wrong. And so we never bring our authentic, genuine, genuine vulnerable self to the conversation. And then here's what happens. You sell everyone in your life on a lie. And then you live with a nagging awareness. Nobody really knows me for who I am. And he's saying, listen, this is a really dysfunctional thing that at some point it will crumble. So just learn to develop the bravery and the courage to live genuinely and authentically. That's what he means by put off falsehood. I like the idea that he also stresses in terms of speaking truth fully. You know, scripture's always drawn our attention to this idea of truthfulness. What he's saying is when you are in a conflict, hear me on this, don't leave out the parts of truth that don't fit your agenda. Oh, that's where the pastor steps on your toes, right? Because we all do this, right? This is why you get frustrated with every news outlet that you watch. Because you're like, oh, they're leaving out parts of the truth that don't fit their agenda. And he's saying, yeah, as people of God, as people of integrity, let's not do that. Because what we are being taught to do is to not be fully honest in moments of tension because we don't wanna give up leverage that would support our agenda. And he's saying, but if you wanna have healthy, thriving, harmonious relationships that heal on the other side of tension, speak truthfully. And here's something that I'll always hear when I talk to people, I'll say, hey, you should reconsider what you're gonna say or how you said that. And I'll hear people say, I'm just keeping it real. Come on, wave at me if you've ever heard someone say, I'm just keeping it real. Maybe you've said that as well. I've said it, so no judgment. But here's the problem. That is kind of our get out of jail free pass to just say whatever we want and to hurt someone's feelings. And what I've started telling people is, hey, it's better to keep it right than to keep it real. Right, just, hey, is what I'm saying, is it truthful? Is it God honoring? Is it anchored in integrity? Is it anchored in values? Does it have this person's best interest in mind? Is it helpful in building them up or is it hurtful in beating them down? And what's amazing to me is as Paul is unfolding his argument, he brings the spiritual component right into the mix. One, he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by the way you speak, which I think a lot of times we're aware of the times we hurt someone else's feelings we're really not mindful of the times that we hurt God's. It's not to say that God is weak, but it is to say that he is uh, attentive to our situations and he uh, cares deeply about every person. And it's just thinking, hey, in what ways am I breaking the heart of my heavenly father by how I'm handling these conversations? And then simultaneously, he says, and do not give the devil a foothold in your life. Folks, I think one of the worst things you can do is go through life unattentive of the reality of spiritual warfare. There is good and evil in the world and Satan wants to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what the Bible says. He has come to kill, steal, and destroy anything that you know, God is trying to accomplish in and through your life. And, and so if God says, hey, the quality of your life is determined and influenced by the quality of your relationships. Well, if you're Satan and you're trying to combat that agenda, what would you do? You would destroy the relationships. And 
He says, don't give the devil a foothold. In other words, Satan is always trying to gain traction and momentum in our life. And Paul is saying, yeah, and how he does so the most is in your interactions. There's this passage in scripture where it says, you know, the devil makes his way around like a roaring lion, seeking those he may devour. Someone say devour. And here's the thing you have to understand. Satan is a manipulator and he can only devour what we give, what we divulge. In other words, he can only work with what you and I give him to work with. And so sometimes it's saying, hey, I need to be more mindful because every time I just come off the handle with my words, I am giving the opposition traction in my marriage, traction in my relationship with my kids, traction in my career, traction in my friendships. -uh. I have to stop giving him a foothold because here's the sobering truth. Every foothold leads to a stranglehold. And eventually you're like, what happened? Yeah, you kept giving the opposition traction in your life. And so here's something that we need to understand. The better we get at fighting with each other, the better we get at fighting the devil together. That what you have to understand is there's a way of approaching conflict that starts to see the other person as an ally, not an enemy where you can actually address the issue without attacking the individual. And you can go from going toe to toe to shoulder to shoulder, addressing the issue collectively and collaboratively. That, that, that's what he's saying. He's like, can you imagine if this is the, the reality of your relationships? And so it's after building all of these things that then Paul says, so do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Again, this is for us who follow Christ. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Because when humanity sinned, our God chose forgiveness, not fairness. And again, this is such an unorthodox way to to fight. But every single one of us knows as difficult as that'll be, that would make a difference. And so the two primary themes that what you find in Paul's argument here is conflict resolution requires a high level of assertiveness. You can't be laxed and casual. You have to be thoughtful and intentional. A high level of assertiveness and acceptance that you have to care deeply about the other person and you have to operate in a way that desires to carry the relationship forward. And so you could turn this into a matrix. We call it the conflict matrix. And again, High assertiveness, high acceptance. So if you throw the opposites up there to give us a pendulum to work with, here we are. And if you think about your situations and your conflict, well, if I have a high degree of assertiveness but a low degree of acceptance, well, that's me getting my way. That's forceful. It's my way or the highway. We're all familiar with that. But if I have a low degree of assertiveness and a low degree of acceptance, well, that's no way. That's no effort 
no intentionality, no thought. It's just saying, I'm avoiding the whole deal and you're avoiding the whole deal. And then there's no progress. And then what we find is you have two options, like we talked about in week one, to either resolve the conflict or dissolve the relationship. And that way ends up dissolving the relationship. But if there's a low uh, degree of assertiveness, but a high degree of acceptance, well, that's your way or their way. In other words, that's just running around, pacifying everything, putting on falsehood, acting as if what's happening isn't really hurting you. And it is just accommodating and appeasing, never truthfully bringing the genuine, authentic self to the argument saying, hey, um, I actually don't have to be your doormat. And I don't have to just allow you to always bully me. I can have standards as well. And we can move this along towards health, but me just giving in to you all the time and taking a beating, well, that's just not going to work. But where there's high assertiveness and high acceptance, well, that becomes our way. And suddenly, you become a partner in this with me. And we can work together collectively, not giving the enemy a stronghold, uh, a foothold, and not grieving the heart of our Heavenly Father, but moving the relationship towards health. Because again, the quality of your life is determined by the quality of your relationships, and you have an opposition who knows this. So, the better we get at fighting with each other, the better we get at fighting the devil together. And folks, I'm just telling you, your marriage, it matters. Your kids, they matter. Your friendships, they matter. Your career, your neighbors, they matter. And it's just saying, mm-mm, if my words have that much of an influence, God, would you quicken me? And would you help me communicate in a way that honors you and moves this towards health? Amen.